We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking projections on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. I am back. We're going to be having a normal week, three shows with Curtis and myself. How did it go in my absence last week, Curtis? Oh man, it went pretty well. We had we had a really fire episode. Uh, I talked about some of my highest owned uh, wide receivers and best ball tournaments. Um, there's some guys that we had talked about in weeks leading up, but I laid out um, a more in-depth case uh, for each, each player. So we've talked about Cooper Cup, um, the two of us, and uh, Danny Kelly. We found out that he's very big on him as well, one of our guests in the last uh, two weeks, and always feel good for that confirmation bias with a big a big, uh, big name and respected analyst like Danny. Um, and then I also talked about Chase Claypool and Michael Thomas. So I ended up um, then, I, I don't want to give away these articles too much, um, but I did end up writing about one of those players. And then Sam Wallace actually ended up writing about uh, two of those players in his most recent Dynasty Trades article, and, and he linked back to our pod. So um, there's a lot of really good analysis that I think will end up being actionable for people. So that's what we got into last week. And then uh, I was just, we'll just let people behind the curtain here. For those uh, loyal listeners of the podcast, you you may. <laughs> so I didn't have any of Dave's drops. So listen, Dave flubbed the drops uh, in the in the week leading up to his vacation because everything was messed up in his studios. Well, I didn't even have the drops. Okay, so I'm playing like my old Dynasty Command Center music for our, for our you know lead in music, and then the big old like what's up, Rotoviz thing from the beginning of the pod. I had to just like fake it, <laughs> so <laughs> so I faked it and added a bunch of effects and. Luckily, nobody made fun of it too much, um, or or you and I just care way more about that part of our intro than anybody else. Uh, so that's how it went, man. Yeah, hey, that's how it went. Yeah, well, I I love the dedication to that. I I can't wait. I have not had time to listen, as you might imagine. <laughs> uh, but I am now going to have to go back a hundred percent and just listen to check that out. But you know what? Let's uh, get into the content. So today kicked off the Scott Fishbowl. 
Given the number of people involved in it this year or in satellites, let's just quickly touch upon how fun it has been to start drafting. Curtis, I believe that you and I were both picking around the corners. I was at the 111. I think you said you were at the 112. Real quickly, how's your team doing? Yeah, I was at the 110. Okay, um, 110. So yeah, we're, yep. both, we're both right there on the corner, man. And uh, my draft definitely is not going how I thought it would. Um, we, we talked about this uh, in previous podcasts, and you know, it feels like it's something that I mention every year on the Scott Fishbowl Podathon, you know, which you and I had a chance to participate in this morning. And you know, any whatever amount of preparation you do for this this redraft tournament is is definitely too much, probably, <laughs> because the the mock draft ADPs just do not hold. Every league is so unique, uh, and it's it's truly just a unique beast. So I was thinking, hey man, I'm going to draft, you know, probably a quarterback followed by Darren Waller uh, at that first turn, and then I'll just take you know true true BPA um in in the third round because of the third round reversal well i get on the clock at 110 and not one not two but three tight ends are already off the board by 109 so kittle and wall are both already gone um so so my my entire structural like identity of my team is going to be different than what i thought i i thought i would be invested in elite tight ends so um i took i had a decision between lamar jackson uh and justin herbert and I went Lamar Jackson. Um, and my thought there was, uh, although the rules as like the scoring as constructed might favor a player like uh, Herbert, who will probably have a higher completion percentage, et cetera. I just feel like as good as Herbert is, I just don't see him pulling away from the pack as a QB one that really separates uh, like Lamar Jackson would uh, if he really came up aces in 2021. So, uh, you know, it's a big tournament. I'm, I'm I'm swinging for the fences. So I took Jackson there. And then to my, uh, yeah, I mean, to my delight, um, at 203, Saquon Barkley was still sitting there. So I took Saquon Barkley. And then to my extreme delight, at 303, I was able to select wide receiver two, Tyreek Hill. So wow. I start with I start with Lamar Jackson, Saquon Barkley, Tyreek Hill, very possibly a trio of overall, you know, positional number ones at their position. Um, I don't think that's super crazy to, uh, you know, to envision that happening. So, yeah, I'm waiting. Uh, I, I'm waiting anxiously to see what Mike Beers does at this three twelve four one turn. Uh, he's he's Mike Beers is in my division, and I think what he does at this wrap here is really going to set the tone, you know, for the rest of the draft. So. Uh, now, now I'm sitting and waiting and, uh, what, what about you, Dave, man? How'd you start? So I started, um, this draft has been a little bit strange in that, uh, it just doesn't feel like a team I normally put together, but started off Alvin Kamara actually at the one twelve, then came Ooh. back with George Kittle. And I was hoping that I might be able to sneak my way into Jalen hurts. He went just a couple picks before <sighs> ended up going for the quarterback and uh, went with Kirk Cousins. My league did uh, go pretty quarterback heavy for a stretch. Um, you know, as you probably would see in some of these leagues, given the super flex element. Um, Darren Waller went right after George Kittle and then Saquon Barkley. So in my league, you had Saquon at the 204. And then you had Kittle at the 202. Darren Waller at the 203. It was interesting to me to, interesting to, me to see uh, that Barkley seems to be going later than people would have expected in a lot of these leagues, which I think is some of the residue of him being unavailable for such a long time last season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm what I'm trying. I'm, I sound distracted. I'm, I'm trying to do a see if anybody started with your exact start. So former, <laughs> uh, so former Rotoviz alum Josh ADHD um, has been building this, you know, fun app. Uh, you know, free to the masses, playing the tournament uh, over at Roto Grinders for a few years. Um, so you went Alvin Kamara, and then you went Darren Waller. No, Al- Alvin Kamara, George Kittle. George Kittle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually saw somebody. You were creating quite the buzz on Twitter earlier today, Dave. Somebody actually was saying that, um, I think it was our friend Peter Howard, actually, from Dynasty League Football, saying that uh, it was a, a sharp move, um, you know, kind of veer off of ADP yep. and differentiate your team a little bit. Um, and then, uh, let's see, you said Kirk Cousins was your pick at this in the third round yep and i'm gonna guess that that's probably a unique a, a unique team let's see well i mean you know yes. i'm, yeah, I'm always on some galaxy t- brain stuff nobody else you're, is doing you're totally unique there um th- there were there were yeah you're totally unique there there were a couple other squads that started kamara kittle um but you and i each through just through the third round already both have unique teams which i think um, with as few picks are made across as many divisions um, as there are in Scott Fishbowl, it feels pretty good to already be differentiated uh, through the first 26, 27 picks of the draft. Feel pretty good about that. Yeah, for sure. So we might uh, revisit Scott Fishbowl um, in a future episode when things are wrapped up. I know not everybody's playing, but I think there's enough people out there aware of it at the time that I felt like, uh, you know, giving it a little bit of light. And before we close out, we will uh, at the end of the show encourage everybody to donate and, uh, you know, work on getting involved because it's just a great cause. All right. For the last two months, Curtis, I was in the lab working on the Rotoviz projections. It is a long and arduous process. I finally have it completed. I know that you've had a chance to look at it. May have been some surprises in there. Um, I'm not sure if you think I need to kind of walk through the process or if there's any questions that a listener might have if they're kind of unfamiliar with how projections work. Um, I think we should definitely walk through it because our projections are going to look a little different um, th- than a lot of sites. Um, potentially not the order of players. If you use projection, uh, you know, for your own redraft rankings per se. Um, but I think the actual numbers uh, that that we come up with, with this process are going to look a little bit different. I think that, you know, kind of that top down uh, approach is important to understand. Um, and, and also I think will lead, to people understanding why secondary and tertiary, you know, parts of an offense might become bigger targets for us because we're thinking of the players within the context of the offense and not just, you know, boosting their last year's projection by a couple percent or something like that. So yep. yeah, let's, let's go like, let's give it like the, uh, like sixth grade nerd level, not like master's degree level, uh, nerd out on the projections, like six, sixth grade, let's sixth keep grade. it approachable, but yep. applicable. All right. So I guess the way I would describe it there is my first step in building these projections was to determine the number of offensive plays I expect each team to have. And then how many of those plays are going to be running attempts and how many of those plays are going to be passing attempts. And this year I did it on a 16 game scale. And then I just upped everything up to 17 games after it was all said and done. 
But so I start off there. I'm looking at a team's win loss record from the season before the number of plays they ran last year. If I think that the team is going to improve, take a big step forward, maybe we're going to see them be able to run the ball a little bit more. Makes sense. Um, I'm looking at the offensive coordinator, the head coach land on my rushing attempts, land on my passing attempts. Then from there, I am saying on this given team, the running back, that's going to be the lead running back. What percentage of rushing attempts do I think he is going to control? What percentage of passing attempts? And I go through and I do this for every player on the team that I feel is going to have a relevant amount of volume. So generally that even gets down to maybe assigning like as granular as a receiver that I expect to get a couple of rushing attempts. I might assign him like 1% of rushing attempts. And then you might have like a Curtis Samuel getting like eight attempts or something like that. Um, and like, even like a tight end three, I might assign like a one or 2% of the passing attempts. So once I get those laid out, I will then go to actually determining an efficiency level for a particular player. So if I say that Alvin Kamara is going to get, you know, 55%, just pulling a random number out there for a hypothetical of the offense, how many yards per attempt is he going to average on those rushing attempts that he gets? And on his receptions, uh, what percentage of those are going to turn into touchdowns? That's what I'm looking at next. So that's allowed me to control for the player's realistic volume and then using that to guide the total production that they're going to have. We always talk, and a lot of people talk about this in the industry, how important volume is. And you can really see when you go in and you do projections and you kind of change the needle on a player's percentage and the team total, and the team total really is what drives everything, then you get down to efficiency. So that's kind of the top-down approach. A natural question might be, well, how do I set those efficiency numbers and how do I set those allocations for percentages? Uh, for percentages, I am looking at league-wide benchmarks, um, and I'm also looking at how the team performed last year. But let's say that you have a team where a lot of the players are different. I'm going to say to myself, all right, I know that the highest percentage of a passing offense that a wide receiver one is ever going to get is probably going to be like 32, 33%. Your typical wide receiver one on a team is going to get about 24 to 26. And I just know these benchmarks from having done it for so long, using the road of a screener, things like that to get a feel for it. And then I also have benchmarks for things like uh, rushing yards per carry. Like I know that it's going to be an outlier season if I assign somebody 5.5 yards per carry. So I'm trying to approximate what feels like a reasonable or the most likely outcome. If we played out the season a thousand times, what is the yards per attempt that that running back is going to have most often? That's what I'm trying to do. A lot of it's looking at benchmarks. I know if a player looks like a bottom third type of running back, I'm probably going to set them closer to four yards per carry. If I think that they're really good, they might get up to 4.6, 4.7 in isolated cases. I think that probably is about the, that even might be more than the sixth grade nerve nerd level, but let me know. No, no, I think that that's great. I mean, what we're really doing, I mean, to sum it up is uh, we're, we're layering in what we think will happen uh, with the offense and then letting that direct the production of the players instead of saying these players are good. Therefore they will produce this amount of production. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's important that people understand that because um, it's a, you know, it's a bigger, it's a bigger exercise. Um, and it's one that is more meticulous, but should yield, you know, better results provided 
provided we're correct about those offenses. Um, and so, you know, I know you're eager to talk about some of the different players across the positions and, you know, how do I feel about where we ended up on some of these players? It's, it's really exciting. I mean, there's some big numbers, man. There are yep. some really big fantasy numbers in here. Um, I think my biggest takeaway is that um, you, we've got to remember it's a 17 game season. Yep. Um, and so that is, you know, and I think it's, we all know it's a 17 game season, but it, when you start looking at the numbers and what that really translates to, it's like, it's video game stuff, but okay, well, they've got one more game. Um, and I just have to constantly remind me like a big <laughs> sticker on my computer that says, uh, 2021, there's 17 games. Um, and so once I remind myself of that, it seems, you know, a little bit less far-fetched, but it does seem like a, a season that, you know, our projection process is saying could be, you know, just an absolute track meet. Yeah. So um, I guess for, the, for the best offenses. And that's my, my main takeaway. Yep. It's just some awesome fantasy production from, from the big teams. Yeah. So the one thing I probably should caveat here is that projections, no matter how reasonable I try to make them end up being a little bit rosier than you could actually expect, because normally what happens is you have a couple of big injuries or a couple of things that you're completely off mm -hmm. on that have a huge trickle down effect. So like, not that I think it's going to happen, but if Kansas city came out this year, and was just not the same team, or if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt week one, you know, there's this huge trickle-down effect that is hard to account for in any projection set. And there's always going to be a couple of these black swan events every year. So as a result, things normally do look pretty rosy, but I think that we continue to see just a really solid offensive year. Uh, as you've probably seen, my Tampa Bay projection, super exciting. Obviously, Kansas City, super exciting. We have a lot of teams in there and a lot of players to get really excited about. As we talked about on the Potathon, uh, you know, some exciting numbers too for the Cardinals. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, um, when I drill into your Kyler Murray projection, th the leap that he makes in passing is insane uh going from you know what the low to mid 3000s into the 4800 passing yard um area i like what you did with the the rushing and dialing that back a little bit um you know 11 rushing touchdowns for kyler murray you know i think is going to prove to be an outlier um and you know he's been very vocal throughout the offseason about you know wanting to run a little bit less you know they have more weapons than ever um rondell moore you know a nice outlet healthy chase edmonds all year i think we'll um, garner some volume aj green i you know we we talked about this probably two months ago 
I really have talked myself into AJ Green being somewhat relevant in fantasy this year. Um, and um, yeah, I just find myself getting a little bit of exposure and it's like, you know, he'll be the first player to the garbage heap after week one, if he doesn't have material volume in the offense. But I don't think like we, we shouldn't just toss that like aside. If he, if he ends up effectively replacing the Larry Fitzgerald role or something like that in the offense, he's actually going to, you know, he's going to throw up some numbers. And so when you look at, you know, when you look at all of the weapons that are there in Arizona, um, year three for Kyler Murray, I could see it happening. I mean, but he, he, on a per game basis, he's probably what 60 yards more uh, passing per game or something than he's been in his career uh, an elevated completion percentage. So this is really illustrative of a year three leap for Kyler. Um, and then you're right. That Tampa Bay projection with 5,400 passing yards for Tom Brady. Um, and I don't think, Hey, I mean, we know he's something is going on with Brady for him to play the way he's playing at age 43, look the way he looks at age 43. He's got, you've got him uh, projected for the devil's number and passing attempts with six, six, six. And so, you know, I think, I don't know if that was on purpose, if that was like a little, just like tongue in cheek, Dave Cabin uh, thing there, or if it just happened um, uh, that way in the projection machine, but uh, lots and lots of offensive explosion. The one that I'm not sure about, um, that yep. I think maybe we should continue to look at yeah. is Dak Prescott's passing touchdowns. Um, we've got him at 30. And yep. I think with all of the weapons that are there uh, and how you and I feel about the Cowboys offense, I'm just wondering, is that like, was that a, was that overall passing volume a function of um, your thoughts on their Vegas win totals and, you know, how much, you know, positive game script they're going to have? Um, I guess we'll need to look, you know, at the running back projections in tandem kind of understand I would expect with the low touchdown numbers like this, I would expect to see, you know, perhaps uh, boosted rushing touchdown numbers, maybe for Zeke and Pollard in combination or something like that. Yeah. You know, so actually this is one of those things I think where you've raised kind of one of the flags of something that I had been, been questioning. Um, and so this was after my first pass and what I tried to do on my first pass while I was going through, was not look at where players or like teams were coming out in comparison to others and just make my pass through going off of what the numbers were telling me. Now, one thing that kind of held this team back in terms of passing touchdowns was just that they don't have, well, there's really two things, right? Like Amari Cooper, if I give him around a receiving touchdown percentage around eight, which feels very normal for him. So it's not bringing him too far up, not bringing him too far down from what we've seen. Um, that gets him at eight. Then you have a player like Michael Gallup who doesn't profile as a high touchdown score. And then CD lamb, I guess could be the piece that kind of swings that. So I only have him with an 8% touchdown rate puts him at seven. Um, so I think what's kind of making Dak's numbers go down Curtis in comparison to a player like Kyler, where I have Deandre Hopkins as a big touchdown scorer. It's that, uh, the players on his team, really the receivers, I don't see any of them running away with a tremendous amount of touchdowns. Like I don't see one of them scoring 12 or 13, uh, not having a player like that did hurt him. Now you could say, well, all right, so those guys don't, but maybe, you know, the less relevant receivers, the guys that are getting, you know, 5% of the targets, 6% of the targets, maybe we see them score a high total of touchdowns. Um, that is something that I would have to go back and look at. Uh, but you're right, because I also don't have Dallas scoring a lot of rushing touchdowns either. 
Um, so I think you make a great point here and I, that's probably something I actually should go back and, and, and take another look at. Um, cause like on a 17 game season, what would you have expected just like off the top of your head to see? Well, I, I think Dallas is going to be a top five or six scoring offense in the NFL this year. Yeah. Um, and there's probably 10 teams you could say that about, um, but I, I feel a lot of conviction around that um, with Dallas. I think that uh, what we saw in September last year is a sign of, of things to come. I mean, I think performing at that rate over a 17 game uh, season is, is probably not realistic, but I kind of think Dak might have 30 passing touchdowns by week 12. <laughs> um, so, like, like uh, honestly, like I, I just think he's that good. Um, and, and the weapons are that good. And I could see all of the receivers, you know, being maybe closer into that, you know, nine, 10, 11% rate. Yep. Um, or that the, or that, you know, we just see the, the complete transition into uh pass first squad, uh, with some of the inefficiency we saw, you know, yep. from Zeke, you could also see Zeke and Pollard getting, you know, taking dump offs uh, for touchdowns and, um, some of them coming that way. So it's not you know, this exercise and this conversation isn't to, to nitpick every projection. Cause at the end of the day, um, Dak Prescott ending up as QB six feels super fair and super right. Yep. Um, it's just, but it is one of those things when you start drawing in tiers, um, that's where, you know, we would want our subs to understand, you know, whether, whether Dak is in that, you know, kind of tier one B or yep. if he's really in tier two, uh, because that changes what you do in a super flex draft like Scott fishbowl that we were talking about earlier, um, but it also um, affects how you might value Dak and Dynasty uh, and Superflex Dynasty. Is he a player worth reaching for in round five or six of a traditional one QB league? Um, as we see, you know, the elite quarterbacks going off a little bit earlier this year. Um, so all of that is kind of why, you know, what goes into the sauce matters. So yep. um, he's really the only one on the front page of our dashboard here, like with our top 12, that really stood out as, hmm. Um, the one that stands out in a, a really positive way. Well, can I just Jalen Hurts, man? Yeah, can Jaylen I hit Hurts? One more yeah, comment though on um, Dallas. There's one other thing that I think is important to factor in is that uh, Mike McCarthy being the head coach is one of the things that holds me back on really expecting to see this team kind of continue some of the offensive explosion that we saw last year. Uh, so the passing touchdowns still actually get them like their team total on passing touchdowns still puts them in the top ten. Uh, just to have that little bit of added context but let's, let, let's talk Jalen hurts. Yeah, man. Jalen hurts. So 500 yards, rushing seven, rushing touchdowns, 28 passing touchdowns. I mean, it's a Konami code uh, quarterback, you know, with where he's going. I, I do think um, there are enough sharps on the idea of chasing this type of quarterback that there's not quite the same discount. We, we saw um, like with year two, Kyler Murray, uh, Jalen hurts seems to be a round or two boosted above that. And, and actually with, with less reason to believe, you know, he, he has less p draft pedigree. Um, and we only got a couple games of, of sample there uh, in the rookie season. But I mean, Jalen hurts is a potential, he's a potential league winner uh, at, the, at this price because of not necessarily because of his production, but getting this production and what you're able to stack in front of him by waiting to take him at quarterback versus, you know, snapping for Lamar Jackson three to four rounds earlier. Um, so, I, I, you know, your, your projections kind of validate, you know, our view on, on Jalen Hurts. And it's nice to see that an exercise looking at the Eagles offense uh, yielded these results. Yeah. And, you know, again, as I said, the way that these are done 
and especially this year, I really made an effort. I am not saying before I do these projections, like, oh, I think Jalen Hurts is going to absolutely smash, right? A lot of the numbers for the quarterback, you have to remember, um, and I should have probably mentioned this for people. I do the uh, like I do the projections for the skill players for the running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers, and the passing numbers aggregate up more or less to the quarterback. So it's not like I'm sitting there saying, "Oh, like I think Jalen Hurts is going to pass for X number of yards." No, I'm looking at each receiver, seeing what seems reasonable for them, and it all goes up to the quarterback. So this is a process where I can't really force it to make like I can't force my love of Jalen Hurts into the numbers. Like it still all has to make sense, right? So um to see it come out like that in a team where there's no specific receivers that I'm super jazzed up on is really impressive. As you said, a lot of that has to do with the rushing ability. But yeah, super exciting for Hertz. And, you know, to the point that you made about him being a league winner, um, this really does feel like a situation where that's kind of in play. Uh, just because, you know, you don't have to go, like you said, with that tier of him in the top group of players. And I just feel really good about him continuing to trend positively. And I think there's a compelling case that somebody could make for the Eagles themselves, just taking a step forward, which obviously would benefit hurts. Yeah, that's, that's so on point, man. Um, Yeah, that's so on point. Uh, I would, I want to hit some other quarterbacks, but you know, we've got the rest of the summer and I know you're continuing to tweet these. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, it'll be fun to talk a little bit more about what happens with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan love uh, in that situation. Uh, speaking of other potential league winners um, and then, you know, a, a pair of year two um, quarterbacks that I'd like to spend some time on in a future episode would be uh, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Yep. So I, th- I think people are really aggressively drafting them. Um, and it's interesting to see where they're coming in versus Jalen Hurts. So if you're listening um, and all of this sounds, you know, spicy and uh, Dave's explanation of the process uh, real UN, you can go check out our quarterback projections on the site. Um, I did want to hit a couple of the running backs Yep. Um, that I know, I know raised your curiosity and you wanted to talk about, and it's, it's another <laughs> pair, another pair of year two guys, right, Dave? Yes, it is another pair of year two guys. So, uh, you must be referring to here, uh, Cam Akers and Deandre Swift. So we could probably end up Curtis. I feel like taking an entire episode on them. Suffice it to say, I have the two of them coming in in a like 18 to 19 range. I have them behind Miles Sanders, behind Joe Mixon, behind J.K. Dobbins. I have them behind Miles Gaskin. And I think that I have seen a lot of people this year going out and specifically with Akers viewing him as this player that's going to absolutely smash this year and that should be a locked in RB1 pick. I've seen him going as like a first round pick for some people. Mm-hmm. I have serious concerns uh, because... In order for me to get him into that range, I need to assume that Daryl Henderson does not factor into the Rams offense at all. And I don't think that that is the scenario that we see the overwhelming majority of the time. Not to say that Daryl Henderson is taking a 40% share of rushing attempts, but I think it could be somewhere between 20 and 30. Oftentimes, you do have the RB2 in that range. So why that really hurts Akers is because I do not have him projected with a reception total that is as high as many other backs that we're seeing, Uh, especially in PPR, which most of our listeners are playing in those leagues. Cam Akers, unless he exceeds 
what I expect him to do as a receiver, which when you look at all the weapons this team has, doesn't look like he's going to be taking a 12-13% target share like a lot of other backs might. It's just hard for him to elevate up into that RB1 type of tier. The DeAndre Swift story, I'll sum up. I don't see him being the entire controller of Detroit's offense, which I think is going to be pretty bad and is not going to be able to run that ball that often. I do have him with you know significant receiving numbers, but I don't have that offense scoring a lot of points. Oddly enough, though, Jared Goff, well, we can talk about this later, actually does pretty decent. But um, you know, this is a team that to me is just kind of a mess. So thoughts yeah, on that? Let, yeah, let me, so, and, and this may be the title of the episode, something like this. I mean, can't, if this comes to fruition, it, Cam Akers is a potential league loser. Um, and, and you've got him at, I mean, not you, our projections process is, is yielding a result where Cam Akers is the, among year two running backs, he's the RB5. Um, which, and, and everyone is just ready to have him right behind Jonathan Taylor or even, you know, above Jonathan Taylor for yep. some people. Um, but you know, we've got him behind Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, JK Dobbins and miles Gaskin, um, with this process. And, you know, the projection is not overly conservative even. I mean, you've, I think that 15 and a half to 16 carries a game, um, and you know, just shy of three targets per game. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate workload. That's yep. getting this result. Um, and so it, it would be just good enough not to be frustrated uh, by this output for acres and dynasty because he is so young, you know, playing that entire first season at age 21. Then you start looking at some of the players in front of him um, that he would, you know, be close enough in fantasy production to obviously, you know, separate himself as a dynasty investment. You know, for example, we have Chris Carson uh, in front of him, Miles Sanders in front of him um, and even Zeke Elliott in front of him. And as those players continue to, to to get older, and all of them are at least three years older than, than Akers, you know, I think it's it's a situation where dynasty owners can feel okay, but redraft owners might be very disappointed. Um, and, you know, DeAndre Swift, I think you're dead on, but I also don't see people, I think people have been a little bit more measured in their yeah. uh, approach of Swift in in redraft. Uh, and this, this feels fair, but also not too out of line with, with community expectations. Yep. So the final thing I'll say is, um, it feels slightly uncomfortable to have acres so far off a consensus, but it just makes sense when I go through and do these numbers, I've been doing these long enough now that like, I don't feel any compulsion to move players to what feels like the consensus. And I think that's how it should be. Like I am not doing our readers or our listeners a service. If I just kind of force things into the range where, you know, I don't feel like anybody's going to call me out for having them in the odd range. I mean, I just let the process speak for itself. Yeah, man. And the the takeaway too is to not get so hung up on the actual fantasy projection, the PPR projection, for example, to where you miss kind of what the projection is telling you. Yep. It's not about the points is what's it telling you. And and what this is telling us is that Cam Akers shouldn't be treated as an elite top tier running back in round one. So he's not a player to swerve off of an early elite wide receiver or early elite tight end build uh, for. Um, acres is a player to take, you know, as he slides, um, if some of those players that, you know, we do value in round one and one and two, a little bit more, you know, to me, it's more of a situation where, you know, if he slides somehow into the mid to late round two, and you feel like there's enough wide receiver value to follow, perhaps, um, you could pull the trigger there, but this is not a player we're touching in the top, 
they're certainly not the top uh, eight um, and definitely not like even the top 15, I think for either one of us, considering he's, he's coming out at RB 18 years. So um, Dave and I will be fading acres near his current ADP and redraft. And uh, I think once you look at Cam Akers projection within the context of the entire set, you probably come away with the same, uh, the same takeaway. If you take issue with that, I know Dave's going to tell us um, how you can call in and tell us how wrong you think that we are. Um, but again, this is, this is really, you know, this episode hasn't been as much about, you know, the specific players we wanted to talk about. It's really to let you know how our projections are done, who does them, why we think it's the right way to do them. And the fact that they're, that they're on the site and ready for you to absorb. So um, go to rotavis.com, make sure you're subbing up. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to our premium email um, and see, you know, how you can uh, subscribe or you can just go to rotavis.com, check it out. Uh, but Dave, yeah, tell them where to call with their angry comments. <laughs> yes, you can call 978-615-9214. Again, that's 978-615-9214. The one thing I would say before you call in you might want to go to Rotoviz, open up the projection machine, something that Mike Beers and I together spent a lot of time putting together using the process that we've been refining at Rotoviz for years. And Mike and I tried to make something that would just make it so easy for anybody to start doing their projections. It walks you through the process. You might realize when you start going through this, how I come out with some of the numbers that I do. So 978 one four that takes us to the end of this episode we will be back on wednesday and we will see you then thanks for listening to the rotoviz fantasy football show don't forget to rate review and subscribe follow us on twitter at dave cabin ff and at c patrick nfl email us at rotoviz ff show at gmail.com visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener only discounts and until next time Thanks for stopping by.